turn to the book of John. We're still in chapter 4, but the very end of chapter 4. We're going to pick up with verse 43. At the end of the two days, the two days being the days with the Samaritans in the city of Sychar, who during that time came to believe that Yeshua was the Messiah and the Savior of the world, at the end of the two days, Yeshua went on to Galilee. He himself has had said that a prophet is not honored in his hometown. Yet the Galileans welcomed him, for they had been in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration and had seen everything he did there. Uh, particularly the miracles that he did that Passover in Jerusalem. So John, the author of our book, let us know that the Samaritans of Sychar welcomed Yeshua and believed that he was the Messiah and the Savior of the world. But those Jewish people from his own area who should have honored him even more honored him the most, while they initially welcomed Yeshua because of the miracles he had done in Jerusalem, they would soon reject him. Someone observed, a short-lived superficial acceptance is not the same as an informed long-term commitment. Let me read that again. A short-lived superficial acceptance is not the same as an informed long-term commitment. I have met many people who have made a short-lived superficial acceptance of Yeshua only to walk away from him a fairly short time Later, Rabbi Glenn, Rabbi Jerry, Yeshua said, a prophet is not honored by those closest to him. Your thoughts, Rabbi Glenn, let's start with you first. Well, it's indicative of our fallen nature, our sinful nature, that, you know, not just prophets or famous, you know, spiritual leaders, but really anyone who has achieved notoriety tends to be treated one of two ways by those who knew them before they became famous. Some will try to curry favor with them, get close to them, hoping to gain access, and perhaps thinking that some of that fame or wealth will rub off on them. Others will resent them for having achieved what they themselves had not. So it is not unusual for people who uh, grew up in hometown USA and they become well-known to be either uh, curried favor with or resented uh, for the very same thing. You know, I, again, I, I draw attention here to this use of honored in his hometown, right? We see there, the next theme, though, says, yet the Galileans welcomed him. 
This is, we're going to see an example of John's irony, putting this statement here that Messiah must have said later to frame this entire encounter. Um, they will welcome him for a time, and, but yet they're not really honoring him. They just want to see sort of what tricks will this rabbi perform for us, you know, perform miracles for us. And that's different than honoring someone. Familiarity breeds contempt. You ever heard that little proverb? It's true. When you're familiar with someone, you don't have the same appreciation for them that someone who doesn't know that person might have. And that's what Yeshua is saying. A prophet is honored, but not among his family or the people who know him best. So that's a very important principle that all of us should understand. And I think it applies to us in the sense that I have known many, many people who have grown up in Christian homes. Uh, Mom and dad really knew the Lord. They brought, you know, Susie and Johnny to church and Susie and Johnny had a familiarity with Christianity, with Jesus, with the Bible, but that familiarity really ultimately brought contempt. Now, in contrast, uh, someone like me, who had no exposure to real Christianity, as soon as I heard about Yeshua, I fell in love with him and was so attracted to him and so drawn to him. And my lack of uh, familiarity really made a, caused me to be radical with him. So the principle, familiarity breeds contempt. People know you, Rabbi Lauren. People know about you. Uh, they've seen you. They've heard you on the radio. They, right? People know about you, and people like you, and they respect you. Um, but uh... what about your siblings? And, and what about back home? Are, are you a big deal? No. Okay, there we go. <laughs> so the question is, has familiarity that leads to contempt affected us? Are we the radical followers of Yeshua that we really should be? Or are we just have a a familiarity with him, oh, he's no big deal. I've known about him all my life. Verse 46, as we traveled through Galilee, Yeshua came to Cana, where he had turned the water into wine. There was a royal official, a government official, in nearby Capernaum, Capernaum is about 16 miles from Cana, and it was about a day's journey back then to walk, you know, 15, 20 miles. That was, that was a good day's journey. So there was a royal official, a government official in nearby Capernaum whose son was very sick. When he heard that Yeshua had come from Judea to Galilee, He went and he begged Yeshua to come to Capernaum to heal his son who was about to die. One of the worst things a parent can experience is the death of a child. 
A parent will do almost anything to prevent their child from dying. This government official heard that the young rabbi from Nazareth had returned to the area. He most likely also heard that Yeshua was doing miracles in Jerusalem at Passover. And this official believed that if only he could get Yeshua to come with him to Capernaum, where his son was dying, Yeshua would be able to heal him. After all, weren't almost all the healings done by the prophets, done by those who were in close proximity to the one they healed? As you look back at the Elijahs and the Elishas and the other miracle-working prophets, almost all the healings took place in the presence of the prophet. So this government official wanted Yeshua to come with him to Capernaum to be there for his son to heal him. Makes sense from the history uh, that God had revealed to us. Now, while this official could have sent his servants to ask for Yeshua to come to Capernaum. Or maybe he could have been able to have Yeshua officially summoned to appear in Capernaum. Or maybe he could have forcibly escorted Yeshua to Capernaum. Those things didn't happen. He personally traveled a day's journey to Yeshua and begged him to help. Rabbi Jerry, why? Well, as you said, Rabbi Lorne, this royal official, most likely from Herod's court, um, could have demanded Yeshua to go or send servants. But he understood, and you, you talk about the desperation. He knew that his plea would have a lot more weight behind it if he was willing to go himself. And, you know, he probably didn't trust something like this to a servant as well. This is his child. He wants to be involved in the process. He wants to go to Messiah Yeshua and beg him to respond. You prove your sincerity and your intent when you go out of your way. Uh, when you make the effort. Um, and, uh, for example... Um, I've got a guy who's going to be flying up here from Florida a week after next, and he wants to start a, a ministry, a motorcycle ministry, uh, like we're doing uh, down there. And he's flying up here uh, to to receive that. So he's showing the effort. Um, the guy who brought it to the United States flew to Germany originally uh, because he was intent on this happening. So this royal official is showing Yeshua that he absolutely is intent, he's sincere, he's made a commitment to travel all that way. Uh, the other thing is, I believe it was also out of respect for him, um, an awareness that at the very least, a prophet was in their midst, at the very least. And uh, so he understood Yeshua's authority, authority from heaven, and that it was greater than his own. There's different levels, degrees of interaction. If I could put it in terms of our day, if you want someone, uh, something from someone, you can text that person. 
or maybe email that person. Um, you could write a letter to that person. You could make a telephone call to that person, which carries you know, more interaction, talking to him, right? The greatest level of interaction is going to that person and meeting with that person and talking to that person face-to-face, -face, right? Degrees of relationship. This government official is showing the highest level of, you know, wanting to communicate with Yeshua, leaving Capernaum, going to Cana to personally talk to the young rabbi. Yeshua asks, verse 48, will you never believe in me unless you see miraculous signs and wonders? Who did Yeshua say this to? Well, the answer is Yeshua said this to the official and to the crowd. He said it because he was disappointed that they really did not believe in him the way they should already, in spite of the evidence already given that he was someone very, very special, that he was the Messiah. What evidence had already been given that everyone should have already stood, uh, understood? Well, the powerful, detailed statements of John the Baptist, the greatest of the prophets, this special forerunner, this great prophet had made crystal clear uh, declarations of who Yeshua was. He made them publicly for people to know. Those who were discerning, who were seeking God, should have already understood that Yeshua was the Messiah, the Son of God. And then there were the statements that Yeshua had already made about himself to his disciples and to others, including the leaders of Israel. His miracles in Jerusalem were evidence that he was the Messiah. So someone who was spiritually sensitive to God and pursuing God already at this time in Yeshua's ministry had enough evidence to believe in Yeshua. It shouldn't take more miracles for people to be convinced that Yeshua was the Messiah. Yeshua was disappointed. More miracles, more unbelief. In spite of that, he was gracious to this man. And he was willing to do more miracles. Verse 49, the official pleaded, Lord, that's respectful, very respectful. He's a high government official. He's calling this young rabbi, Lord. Lord, please come now before my little boy dies. Then Yeshua told him, go back home. Your son will live. And the man believed what Yeshua said and started home. Rabbi Glenn, why did Yeshua not go with the government official back to Capernaum? Well, I believe Yeshua already knew that this official had, this, this man had a budding faith, right? He came all that way. He left his son. I mean, he took a, a chance 
traveling a full day's journey, he didn't know if his son was going to still be alive when he got back. Such was his faith that Yeshua could perform a miracle. And so I think in part, Yeshua declines to go with him, but rather speaks a word because he knows he's testing the man's faith and he's helping stretch this man's faith uh, to increase it. And he was right. And as we'll see in a few moments, uh, his faith did increase. Rabbi Jerry. I absolutely agree. Again, going back to the beginning of the story, right? A uh, prophet not being honored in his hometown. This man, this royal official, honored Messiah Yeshua. He honored him by going there in person. He honored him by calling him Lord. And he also honors him in believing. That's why John, through the Holy Spirit, tells us the reason why the man left wasn't because he was disappointed or went to another miracle worker. No, he believed, he trusted, and so he left. And so he's demonstrating his faith before even seeing the miracle, which is what Messiah Yeshua wants from his people. You know, that's as part of his, his words to Galilee, to the people who are demanding more miracles. You've seen enough, believe. And this man is demonstrating that faith. Imagine how he, he's feeling. It's not a five-minute walk back to his house. It's a whole day's journey back to his house and all the thoughts and the, that are flooding him. And, and I'm sure he's praying, but um, I wonder if he was, there was a, a, a gladness and an expectation mixed in there. He has a whole day to get home. <laughs> Verse 51, while the man was on his way, some of his servants met him with the news that his son was alive and well. What relief, what joy this father must have felt. This was an intelligent man, and he wanted to know when the healing took place to determine if there was a connection with the miraculous healing of his son and Yeshua. Verse 52. He asked them when the boy had begun to get better. And they replied, yesterday afternoon at one o'clock, his fever suddenly disappeared. Then the father realized that that was the very time Yeshua had told him, your son will live. And he and his entire household Believed in Yeshua. Powerful. Glorious. Let's talk about the need to investigate miracles. The father did some due diligence. He had an inquiring mind. He was intelligent. He was smart. Was there a connection between the time his son got better and Yeshua? Rabbi Jerry, let's start with you. Any thoughts? Well, I think, I think it was wise that he did that. He wanted to know for sure that Messiah Yeshua was the one who performed this miracle, as he said. You know, and there's this idea of trusting but verifying. I think there's a lesson for us as well. You know, in, in our day, uh, I do believe miracles happen. I do believe supernatural entities and things can happen in this world, but not everything that is supernatural means it comes from God. You know, um, 
We see this in Revelation. We, Rabbi Glenn been in that for over a year now. But, you know, just because someone performs a miracle. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, talking about a false teacher. Well, they seem to perform miracles, Rabbi Jerry. I said it doesn't matter if they perform miracles if they're teaching something contrary to God's word. So the idea of, you know, our faith is meant to be real, but it isn't meant to be blind as in we turn off our brains and just go with the motions of things. We're not... We're not spiritual zombies. God wants us to use our minds appropriately to interact with him and his creation. Yeah, I want to reinforce what Rabbi Jerry was saying. Moses in Deuteronomy 13, uh, John in 1 John 4, Messiah Yeshua himself in Matthew chapter 24, all admonished us not to blindly accept every miracle or message, but to investigate, to make sure that the message is in line with God's word. And so despite what some people will say, it isn't a lack of faith when a person claims a miracle and we seek to verify. That's, it's not a lack of faith to seek to verify. It's really the obedient and biblical thing to do. Let's talk about this man's growth in faith. He initially heard about Yeshua uh, he seeks him out, he believes in him, uh, he goes to him, uh, Yeshua says something to him, he believes him, he goes home, the, you know, on the way, he gets the good news, he believes in him even more, the final phase that he and his entire household believed. This is a journey in faith for this government official. Growth in faith. Rabbi Jerry, thoughts? Well, you know, it's interesting, right? You know, as a royal official, like I said, I most likely from probably Herod's court would have been exposed to lots of different ideas. I mean, this is Israel during the time of Rome, so there's polytheism going on. There's all sorts of, of craziness, uh, emperor cults. And so in this miasma of all these competing voices and ideas, um, he, does, he hears about this rabbi. There's been many people who've claimed to be the Messiah at this, even in this season, in this time period. And he says, I think, you know, out of desperation, this could really be it. Enough that he's willing to put forth effort. And he's not willing to back down when he's tested. You know, clearly God's hand was on his life, but he responded to the call that God was giving him. It's also an example of, this is obviously not always why, but sometimes God uses suffering to lead us to him. It's not the only way suffering is used in our lives, but it is one of the ways that gives us that fire to seek, th to seek him out uh, in those times of desperation. Um, but he was obedient. That's the key thing is his faith grew as he was obedient to the call of God. And I think that's the principle for us as well, is God calls us, we respond, but we respond by being obedient to the journey that God is leading us down. And as we see in the Gospels, each believer's journey is different. What happened in Samaria was different than what's happening here in Canaan, or Cana. Um, so I think there's that principle as well. What's a miasma? I mean miasma, I misspoke. Did he mean a smorgasbord? Okay. Um, again, to reinforce what Rabbi Jerry is saying, life isn't static. God took us from where we once were in unbelief, and brought us to a place of trusting in him and in his son. But he continues the work that he began in us, right? Philippians. And from time to time, we'll orchestrate or 
simply allow circumstances that involve adversity uh, to purify and to increase our faith. And he does it precisely because he wants the best for us. So we shouldn't necessarily interpret adversity to mean that he's, we certainly shouldn't think that he's given up on us. Nothing can separate us from his love in Messiah Yeshua. But sometimes he's allowing that because he sees that perhaps our faith has plateaued or we're on autopilot and he says, I, I need this one to, to, I need to light the fire as it were. The idea of not being stagnant in faith, but that faith is a journey. God wants to bring us from faith to faith to faith to faith. If you're a real believer, your faith should be growing. It's like a muscle that is being exercised, and it should be growing, and you get stronger in faith and more confident in God the longer you're with him and know him and his word and how he's worked, right? Very important principle. This government official, this father, believed, and then John tells us that his whole family, his extended family, the whole household, believed. Uh, let's talk about the idea of the blessing that comes when the head of the family gets his spiritual act together and becomes the real spiritual leader. Rabbi Glenn, any thoughts? Yeah, I have a few. Uh, many times across my years of serving the Lord, I've had couples come to me who were not yet believers, but they have young children. And now that they had young children, their question was they, they sought me out because I'm Jewish and I believe in Jesus. So they're saying, how do we make this work? What do we do with our children? So these are couples that there's like one Jewish person and one Christian. Right. Or nominal Christian. Right. And they're not believers themselves, but they're wanting to know what to do for their children. I said, let's put first things first. If you just decide that you're going to plug your kids in over here or you're going to plug them in over there and it doesn't start with you, they're going to see right through that. If you want this to be legit, if you want this to be sincere, authentic, it's got to start with you. So let's start with you and where you stand, and let's talk about Messiah Yeshua, and let's make sure you understand and are committed to him. Then as you tell your children about this, it's very natural, and it's authentic. So how much more when it's the father who is under normal circumstances, uh, the father is kind of setting the tone for the family. So if the father becomes a believer, it's very natural that the wife is going to, if he's a good husband, the wife is going to want to follow him where he goes. The children will want to follow him where he goes. But it always has to start with the head of the family. Rabbi Jerry. You know, there's this, this principle, you know, of we see an individual become a believer, and then we see it spread to his family, to his household. Now there's someone in Herod's court that is a believer, a whole family that's been transformed. And so that, that what started with that individual spreads and grows in a positive way. And so again, you know, that hierarchy, and then the reverse happens. You know, how does, how does Satan, who is at work in this world, 
how does he destroy countries or nations or cities? It starts with individuals. It starts with leaders. If you want to destroy a family, you take down the head of that family, right? Create division, which then will spread. If it's the husband, right, spreads to the wife, which will then spread to the kids. Divorce and other issues will then occur, most likely. And so the reverse is true as well, is, you know, being a leader of any kind, whether you're the head of your household or us as rabbis, or if you're in business, if you lead people, it's so important that you, are, that you hold yourself to that higher standard because your actions have deep and lasting consequences. I mean, how often do we hear about leaders um, having deep moral failings in the pulpit and when they go down, the church splits or the congregation splits or people leave. You know, again, we, we have to be mindful of that impact on both sides of it. The Samaritan woman, Yeshua reveals himself to her. She goes back to the village and the whole village winds up believing in Yeshua, right? The entire Samaritan population. Uh, this one government official, he believes, and then the whole household believes as well. One person, one little spark can create a fire that affects a lot. Don't be discouraged that you're just one little person. Be faithful. This was a second miraculous sign Yeshua did in Galilee after coming from Judea. The miracle in Cana, right, turning the water into wine. This is the second miracle up north, the second miraculous sign, the healing of the government official's son. What is this second sign? And a sign is a miracle that is designed to point us to a, a deeper truth. It's a sign miracle. A miracle that points us to something important that we are to know. What does this second sign teach us about Yeshua? And what does it teach us about us? Rabbi Jerry. Well, I think there's, there's some connections between the, the, the first miracle and the second miracle. We have desperation in both circumstances. One obviously more extreme here with the, with the potential death of a child versus a wedding going awry, but real stress and desperation. The idea that teaches us that Messiah responds to us in our need, but he responds to us in unexpected ways. He doesn't perform for us the way we tell him to. Um, he does things according to his will, but the outcomes that he has for us are better than we could possibly imagine. You know, this man just wanted his son to be healed. He felt he needed Messiah Yeshua to be there another day of his son, at least going through suffering close to death. It didn't need to be that way. Messiah spoke and it happened and he gained something more than his son's life back. He gained eternal life with Messiah Yeshua as he begins to grow on that faith journey. And so it tells us that Messiah Yeshua responds to us in unexpected ways. And that, again, we've talked about this before, but it's the unlikely people, the people you don't expect, the Samaritans, a man from Herod's court, you know, very corrupt Herod's court, uh, they're becoming believers. So the ones you would expect, people from his hometown, are the ones most resistant. Good points. Rabbi Glenn. It, 
really teaches us a great deal about Messiah Yeshua, his kindness, his willingness to meet the needs of people, teaches us that we are needy and that he is our source. Um, it teaches us also that he is much more than a rabbi and much more even than a prophet. He speaks a word and the elements conform to his will. Um, so just as at creation, so it teaches us of Messiah's ultimate authority. It also teaches us that Yeshua does not have to be physically present for great, fantastic things mm. to happen, right? He is not physically present here. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father in heaven right now. It doesn't matter. Uh, whatever you need, whatever help you need, whatever grace, love, mercy, life you need, it can happen right now with Yeshua not physically present. You need to believe that. You need to know that. Right? Humanity is a lot like this young boy who's dying. Humanity is dying. Mot tamut. Dying, you will die. You will surely die. Humanity is dying. Sick. There's only one person that could heal sick, dying humanity. And that is Yeshua. And even if he doesn't heal all of humanity right now, he can heal you. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Rabbi Jerry. Thank you, Rabbi Glenn.